Welcome to the Wisdom School, a podcast by the Perennial Leader Project. Here you'll find selected readings from ancient texts, clips from the In Search of Wisdom podcast, and meditations on the art of living. To learn more and subscribe to our daily newsletter, visit perennial.substack.com. I've been listening to a lot of uh, podcasts that you've done over the last few days. And I want to say I heard you say something along the lines of around biases that, you know, maybe there's a problem of thinking about removal instead of like you were talking about there being aware of. It mm. seems like if I was thinking about that in my from my own perspective, if I'm thinking about this is a really big problem and I need to remove this, mm. wouldn't it make me less likely to admit when I'm, you know, giving in to that tendency instead of just an awareness? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And, you know, I think that point generalizes to to other things. I think that many of the things that are difficult or problematic in life, we, we want to remove them. And, you know, a lot of the sort of best-selling self-help people will give you the impression that you can um, remove them. I think most more sensible minds say it's never about that. It's about putting things in their place, getting a grip on them, understanding them. I mean, this is well understood in sort of psychology around things like you know, depression and other kind of anxiety disorders. Yeah, if you set out to deal with that by thinking, I must get rid of this, I must get rid of these negative thoughts, it's a really tough ask. And you're, you, to be honest, you're probably not going to succeed, which sounds defeatist, right? <laughs> but you don't, the thing is, you don't need to. What the way most people come back to a kind of semblance of, or yeah, more like, or not just a semblance, a, a genuinely more contented, balanced life, is that they they notice these things and they. They turn the volume down on them. That's another metaphor people use. They turn the dial down on them and they deal with them in that way. And that's much, much more manageable than, than wanting to get rid of them. And again, wanting to get rid of them is also just completely unrealistic because, again, just take the mental health example. I mean, most of the things that cause problems for, for mental health are merely are things which are, everyone does, but they go to a certain stronger degree so to give an example of this i was just talking the other day to somebody i know who who has this real sort of like social anxiety thing whereby when they've been out socially they come back and they go oh, why did i say that i was so stupid everyone must have thought i was a fool and for them it's got to the level where it's kind of debilitating now there are a lot of people who have thoughts like that but they're not debilitating because they just brush them off they forget about forget about them and the person for whom they become debilitating, what they've got to realize is they don't have to get rid of those thoughts. They've just got to like realize that, in a sense, they're natural thoughts to have, but you can't let them guide your life. And now, we, we were talking about this about critical thinking and biases, right? So, yeah, with biases, it's the same kind of thing. There's no such thing as a totally unbiased thinker. Of course there isn't. I mean, that's, that's not to be human. To be human is to come to any question with a set of assumptions, with a set of desires about what you want to be right, course you're not going to get rid of them but the best you can do is to become aware of them in order to try and sort of mitigate them in, in some way i think that is so helpful yeah and i appreciate you sharing that in a in a chapter titled pay attention you write that thinking is largely about attending mm. 
What is attending here to you? Yeah, okay. So this is kind of, it's become a bit of, a, of an obsession, if you like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it, the reason it became a bit of an obsession was that, you know, my training, if to call it that, my education in philosophy is in the sort of modern Anglo-American analytic tradition where, you know, philosophy is presented as being primarily about argumentation argumentation perhaps also to a certain degree conceptual clarification so it's all about you know this sort of the, the logical side of things um what follows from this you know and, and getting meanings right and i and I, I it's not that i don't think those things are important i think they are but uh, when i wrote my book about global philosophy how the world thinks i, I came to realize that in in various traditions there's this huge emphasis on on attentiveness paying attention noticing things observing so you know, if you want to understand anything properly the first thing you've got to do is to get yourself into the right frame of mind which is why a lot of non-western practices include things like you know, meditation and so forth you know you breathe properly and all that kind of stuff and really focused and, and and to see clearly now for some people this becomes a quasi mystical thing that you're kind of seeing beyond appearances the underlying reality but even without that, I think it's, 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 it's a sensible thing. And I was looking again at a, a lot of things in canonical Western philosophy, and you find that actually, yeah, a lot of the great stuff in Western philosophy is actually it's people paying close attention. You know, Descartes asked himself, what can I doubt and what I ca can I not doubt? And he wasn't really constructed arguments there. He was just sort of doing the experiment. Can I doubt this? Mm, yes, I can. You know, I mean, there's an element of logic there because you can doubt it without any kind of contradiction. But that, in a sense, that's kind of a, a formal aspect which you don't need to, to prioritize. And then David Hume, who sort of argued against some of the conclusions he, Descartes came to about the nature of the self, you know, he concluded that there was no Cartesian ego, this indivisible mental substance which Descartes thought there was, by introspection, by saying, well, you, know, you try this at home, folks, you know. So sit there and observe what you observe when you are thinking or feeling. And, and you'll notice thoughts, the words in your head, the sensations in your limbs, perhaps the rumbling in your stomach, whatever it might be. You don't find a separate I there. There is no separate I. The I is just a collection of these things. Now, that's by observation. That's not an argument. Uh, and I think in, in, in ethics, I think this is particularly important. In ethics is about trying to attend to what is most ethically important in a situation. And you, you haven't got an argument for why something's ethically important. You know, if I was to sort of like explain to you that if I was trying to make the case that we need to consider animal welfare more, then I would direct you to evidence about the sentience of animals and how they feel pain and how uh, certain ways in which we inflict pain is unnecessary, etc., and, you know, whether you find that persuasive or not is largely about whether you're attending properly to those, to those facts, whether you're, whether you're sort of like seeing them for what they are. And of course, you know, you can get them wrong in other ways. You can get them wrong in the way of like not acknowledging they're there, sort of imagining animals or automata. You could also make the mistake of kind of anthropomorphizing, not, not, you know, imagining animals are just like human beings, whatever it might be. But again, it's pay, the paying of close attention. So I think that's absolutely um, central. And even argumentation, in a way, you know, you, you can teach someone the formal aspects of an, of an argument. But if you say to somebody, look, just ask yourself when you're presented with an argument, does this follow from that? <laughs> you know, just pay attention. And a lot of the time, without any formal training in logic, you will notice, you go, well, that doesn't follow. That, no, that, that's right. That doesn't follow, does it? 
Um, you know, the, obviously, I, I do think that having some awareness of the the formal aspects of argumentation make you more sensitive to these things, and you might spot things a bit earlier. But a, a lot of a lot of bad argument can be spotted simply by paying attention to what people are doing and not being swept along by the rhetoric or the assumptions. Thank you for listening to this clip from the In Search of Wisdom podcast. I hope you found something useful for daily life. Listen to new episodes of In Search of Wisdom every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. For those interested in more tools for the art of living, consider subscribing to Perennial Meditations on Substack. Until next time, be wise and be well.